everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint, and we got Jim here. Jim, how you doing? I'm good, Saint. How you doing today? You know, it's been a long day, but... It has, hasn't it? It's not bad. I can't complain overall. So, for those of y'all listening, I want to thank you for listening in, obviously, first and foremost. If you're looking for the podcast's presence on the interwebs, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. You can find us on our Buzzsprout page, which is fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com, and that'll tell you where we're located, all of uh, wherever you get your podcasts. I've been trying to say that more, wherever you get your podcasts, so I got to beat you to it, Jim. <laughs> it really is literally wherever you get your podcast now. I've been lucky to be uh, available on a lot of platforms. So wherever yeah, you go, we're going to be far, where you are. We're far and wide, and that's 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 the way we like to be. But uh, uh, you can also find us on our Instagram page. We've been posting a lot of uh, of shit on our Instagram page. A lot of a lot of dumb memes, which are fun. I just I've been enjoying that for the format of that. But uh, that's uh, at Fuel Your Fandom, or you can find us on our Twitter page, which is at fuel underscore your so that's where we are that's where we're located but if you've made it this far into the recording i want to thank you again for joining us for what is the 40th episode of this second season of the fuel your fandom podcast this is our season finale for 2020 and boy howdy did i think this was never going to come it just it's been a hell of a year I mean, to say the least, man. I mean, you know, I think everybody is, you know, I, I was talking to, I, I had a dentist appointment today. And my hygienist, I was talking, yeah, yeah, I was. Um, a lot of bleeding, a lot of uh, spit. But, you know, I was talking to my hygienist and I, we were kind of laughing about how the Venn diagram of like seasonal depression plus regular depression plus COVID depression kind of made this like no man's land of like just pure bullshit, like right in the middle where all three of them overlap. And we're all just trying to get through the year at this point and just kind of hold out till that vaccine shows up. And then you throw on the uh, PS5 obscurity, and and that just kind of really just adds uh, another. Oh, good lord! Another. Kick I mean, how many testicles. times over this course this last week have you and I been on on Messenger talking? Oh, the queue is open. The queue is open. Hurry! And if you don't jump on that shit within like the first fifteen seconds, you're just you're, you're not going to get one. You know. Yeah, and I I got it of... all the way down to fifteen minutes today. You have fifteen minutes left, yeah. and then all of a sudden, up, oh, sold out. So. Yep, that's how it goes. Yep, but I had to, uh, I, I actually promised my buddy, I'd give him a shout out because he's a listener of the podcast ever since uh, I kind of hip him to it a couple of weeks ago, but I'm a little late starting this episode and I appreciate you guys being a little bit patient with me because I had to do a round trip uh, to my buddy's place. Uh, he had an extra Xbox Series X and I went and picked that up. So I'm not completely going to be bereft of joining the next generation. And uh, so thanks a lot, Smo. Um, he's uh, another fellow gamer. He's another guy who, who, who does a lot of gaming stuff online. You can actually find him at Zero Skill on uh, Twitter. That's at X-E-R-O-S-K-I-L-L-1, Zero Skill. And he uh, tweets a lot of gaming news and has a lot of great stuff going on with, uh, with his online presence. So uh, I promised him. Uh, I, I, I owe him a lot, but at the very least, I can give him a shout out on the podcast. So Smo, I've known that guy for a long time, and he, he came through in the clutch and floated me an Xbox. So much appreciated on that one. Well, on behalf of all of us here at the Fuel Your Fandom, Jim, I say to you, eat shit. But and I deserve that. I do. <laughs> well, we're not here to talk about next gen consoles. We're not here to no, talk not. about stress or strain or anything else like that. In fact, uh, we batted around a couple of topics for a season finale, and and one of the things that we came up with was was Star Wars video gaming and and the and the evolution of Star Wars video gaming from uh, back in the old uh, Atari Amiga days and. 
all the way up through now and, and how it's changed and what everybody's favorites are given whichever particular platform that they choose to follow it on. But uh, we had an interview all set up for that. Uh, and I'm not going to spoil it yet, but the interview had to be pushed to mid January. So we had to kind of scramble and rethink. And, and one of the things that I really enjoy is cooking. One of the things I know Jim enjoys is eating. Which, Absolutely. You know, uh, and, and one of the things that we share as a common interest is, is this wonderful little show on Fox animation called uh, Bob's Burgers, which uh, if you haven't heard of it by now, you're lying because everyone's heard of it. <laughs> so uh, they came out with a cookbook. Uh, Lauren Bouchard, who is the uh, creator of uh, Bob's Burgers, came out with a cookbook called the Bob's Burgers Burger Book, which is very alliterative. Real recipes for joke burgers. Right. And, and the kind of the common thread in the episodes is that uh, behind the counter, uh, Bob is always whipping up something new and something different. And it's always very punny. Uh, but it's always very kind of culinarily sound for the most part. And so what we wanted to do uh, was do an episode focused on not just talking about uh, Bob's Burgers, because we could do that anytime. And, and we will. I mean, because it's a, it's a rather enjoyable series. It's a great but, show. I wanted to talk about, because it, it Venn diagrams, like you say, it Venn diagrams with my love of cooking uh, into uh, creating new taste sensations that I've never tried before. So I wanted to kind of combine the two. So what we're going to do is uh, we have a guest with us today. Uh, we are going to, the three of us, talk about Bob's Burgers, talk about uh, this cookbook in specific, and, and we're going to talk about the burgers that we've made for this audio medium which is fantastic we are not going <laughs> to chew them in your ear i promise you that because nobody wants to hear that uh the wet slurping sound of everybody eating hamburgers at the same time but uh we have as a guest on the show he was a uh, it's appropriate that he's here for uh this uh season finale of season two because he was here for the first episode of season two all the way back in january before we knew what hellscape 2020 would become Mm. Uh, Mr. Stephen Ross. Stephen, how you doing, buddy? Hey, doing well. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, Jim, for having me. Uh, yeah, thinking back to it, that might have been one of my last social gatherings because here in Washington, <laughs> in January, I was, uh, you know, just a downhill thing from there, just snowballed. <laughs> yeah, it all kind of snowballed after that. But uh, you've had a busy year yourself. Uh, why don't you uh, clue the listeners into what you've been going through lately? Yeah, five and a half weeks ago, uh, my baby boy was born, Atlas. Uh, have to give a shout out to my wife, Jess, and our daughter, Olivia. Um, crazy story, if you don't mind me sharing, Kev. Oh, go, no, go ahead. By all means. Uh, you know, we were, we were signed up to go through a midwifery uh, because we wanted to have a lot of ownership and say in our, in our birthing process. And uh, from the time that, just like what you want to hear right before eating burgers, from the time that Jess's water broke, <laughs> to the time that um, Atlas was here, 90 minutes uh, was all it took. So things escalated so quickly that uh, Jess couldn't even make it out to the truck. And uh, we ended up delivering him on our bedroom floor three minutes before the midwives could get here. And uh, <laughs> luckily we've, we've got a, a very healthy baby and a very healthy mama and he's growing like crazy. Um, five weeks that in, never he's starts. already wearing his six month clothes. So. Um, just happy well, congratulations on successful human manufacturing. That's uh, it's 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 not for everybody, and and I'm I'm always glad when when good parents are uh, 
are out there doing their thing. So, you know, more, more power to you. And congratulations to you and your beautiful family. Thank you. Thank you. You might end Absolutely. up through the wall over here at some point. <laughs> yeah, I'm always blessed that people can't hear my children through the walls because <laughs> I'll just tell you, uh, uh, William is crazy and he's 16 and his volume knob is perpetually broken. But also my daughter is nine and uh, holy shit, she's a hurricane. <laughs> so those of you who've listened to the podcast this season may have listened to the episode where my children factored in that was a fun one to do but uh uh yeah so it's it's a whirlwind all the time here so getting the house to be quiet for however long it takes to record these podcasts hour hour and a half whatever it is it's it's a uh, it's a freaking miracle to be perfectly <laughs> blunt so uh but i mean i'm just happy to have you here steve and like i said you were here for the first episode of the season We've been through this kind of up and down and side to side whirlwind year, and it's only fitting that we kind of send it out together as well, which I thought uh, super appropriate. So, yeah, I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. But uh, so uh, I just before we get into talking about Bob's Burgers, I want to throw a shout out to to some of my guests over the course of this year because this has been uh, a very crazy topsy turvy year for podcasting, especially because. As I tell everybody, the podcast was meant to be kind of a face-to-face conversation with uh, the people that you care about, your friends, your family, so you can kind of get that feeling and feed off of their energy, that that sparkle in their eye, that 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 uptick in their in their heart rate when they talk about something that they really really love. And so, uh, starting out the year exactly that way, face-to-face conversations, gather around a coffee table, talking and. I had no real conception of the direction that the podcast was going to take. And, and uh, crazier things have happened. Like, I mean, the podcast could have been completely derailed by COVID. Um, and it almost was. I almost let it get the better of me. But it kind of evolved and morphed into this online kind of juggernaut. Like, I've been able to interview a lot of people that I would never really have had the opportunity to interview face to face, just time wise, schedule wise. And, and so I kind of want to throw a shout out. I'm going to go down the list of my episodes for this year. We, we managed to fit 40 episodes into a 52 week year. That's not bad. That's not no, bad. Not at all. That so, is to be commended, especially with, like you said, everything nutty that's going on. And, and it's, it's fitting that we ring out the new year with it. But so here's a couple quick uh, shout outs to uh, my guests. And of course, on the potluck podcast, we had Steven. And my good friend, Amanda, we talked about food and our love of cooking. Uh, we talked about uh, Kevin Smith. We talk, I didn't talk to him. I wish I had talked to him, but I got to meet him. And right around then, we got to talk about it on the podcast uh, uh, with my, my brother-in-law, Thomas, who loves to show up on the podcast when he's available. He's a great guy. I love talking to him. Uh, we've talked to Frankie and Maria. Uh, we did a few episodes with them. We talked about online cyberbullying and and things like that, some really negative topics, but shit that we have to talk about because it's present in, in the nerd community. Uh, I talked with my buddy, Mr. Vaughn, and my buddy, Raymond Hayden, uh, both musicians. Always nice to talk to my fellow musicians. Uh, we talked with uh, comic book writer, Eric Trotman, which was really a lot of fun. Comic book writer, Brandon Jerwa, and comic book writer, uh, uh, <laughs> I talked to a lot of comic book writers. Uh, Mark Ronner, uh, we talked a lot about uh, Twilight Zone and comic books and, and Battlestar Galactica and things like that. It's always really super cool. And then uh, I really started getting into uh, 
like I said, I had a conversation with my children talking about passing the torch of nerdery down, which was also also really fun. And then I started getting into these podcasts with people I have no right talking to, which is weird. Uh, BJ Shea from KISW, who I've known for a lot of years, he sat down and we talked and and uh, Regan Lane from uh, Strangely All Right, another musician local here. Uh, I talked to my friend Anthony about The Simpsons, which was fun. Uh, Iron Mike Savoya, the photographer for KISW, we talked about rock photography and what that goes down with. Uh, shout out to my buddy uh, Arthur with Tahoma Films. Uh, Sky Warden, another musician out of uh, Tacoma who plays with uh, uh, Abney Park, a steampunk punk band which was fun. Uh, and then Jim stepped in and started introducing me to some really off the wall people like my good buddy, John Champion of Mission Log Podcast fame for Star Trek. And, and it is so cool to talk to someone who's that steeped in the world of Star Trek nerdery for me. So it's, it's fantastic. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I talked to my friend Karama. We talked about uh, uh, the JK Rowling debacle and that was a super deep and, 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 kind of splitting conversation because it really made me realize that there are certain fandoms that can't survive that kind of schism. Mm. Um, and I mean, back and forth, we talked to a lot of the same type of people. So, I mean, uh, really that's kind of the big list of the, of the people that I've talked to. And of course, Jim, uh, we talked and, and uh, I talked to my friend, Eric, we talked about Cobra Kai, which he's, just got out of surgery today and, and he texted me and he's super excited about uh, the new season of Cobra Kai coming up. And then my buddy, Robert, Dr. Robert Moorhead over in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, of course we talked to my band a couple times, another sentiment. And then uh, recently we talked to uh, Taryn Daly, whose episode just went up today as of recording, uh, also of KISW fame, rocking it out in uh, the night slot at KISW. She's amazing. And uh, Shiloh Prychek with New Wave Toys, which was a super huge get for us. And and he was just as cool as all get out. It was just fantastic to talk to him. So it's been kind of, I know I'm getting sick of the sound of my own voice too, I promise. But uh, <laughs> it, it was, it's a, it's a crazy year. A lot of this shit I couldn't have done uh, without uh, this ability to adapt and be uh, malleable into the new kind of format and I really wouldn't have been able to do it without all of y'all out there listening too so uh, again from the bottom of my heart I want to thank you for your contributions uh, to the Feel Your Fandom podcast it's been it's been humbling and I look forward to raising the bar even a little bit higher next year I'm looking forward to some of the things that we got planned for next year so uh, and yeah, then me that, too. it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah, we brought Jim on now as a co-host to kind of keep me on the straight and narrow. And then I just still yammering on and don't let him get a word in edgewise, which is fantastic. So that's fitting the formula already. Well, well, goodness knows I've gone off on my tears as well. So don't even worry about it. No, but it's been fun. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to And, and then next week, as of recording, we've got Paul Haga on, which was really a cool conversation about cosplay and costuming and prop building, which was it's something I've always had a love for, and it's really neat to talk to someone super professional about the whole process. So, 
Yeah, I started okay. thinking about talking to Paul because I noticed that we were putting up a lot of stuff on our different social media accounts with the hashtag of Fuel Your Fandom. Obviously, it is the name of the podcast, but I, I, he is a guy who, uh, you know, hopefully you've heard this by now um, on the last episode. Uh, this is going up afterwards, I think. But he, uh, yeah, he is, as Saint said, he builds his own uh, cosplay costumes and, and he builds them to such a degree that they're movie quality. And he was using the hashtag, putting up his stuff to promote his own Etsy store, making costume components uh, with craft your fandom. So I thought, you know, craft your fandom, fuel your fandom, there's some overlap in that Venn diagram as well. So I thought it'd be fun to talk to. And he wound up uh, really being just, you know, full of some great information and, and entertaining stories. And um, it was great to uh, get a chance to talk to him as well. All right. Business accomplished. So what well, we are... I think there's one more thing, Kev. And that What's is, that, Stephen? Somebody else deserves a shout out. I think it's yourself, man. Uh, oh, Jesus. You know, when you, I know, I know. You can give me the 20 bucks later. But one of the, <laughs> you know, one of the things to, to think about you know, with this community in particular and all of us being fellow nerds here, uh, I know we all have our own experiences, but uh, growing up as a nerd, not an easy thing. Uh, you know, we talk about cyberbullying, but that, that goes beyond the computer as well. And you've created this environment of like inclusivity, you know, just the, the sheer statement of like fandom is everything, right? Um, to where anybody can come in and talk about what they're passionate about. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's no judgment and you're also like putting yourself out there, which is like a really vulnerable thing. And you've been talking about things like mental health. You've been talking about a lot of topics that uh, for many of us, you know, got us picked on, um, you know, got us bullied. We lost friends over. We had really small communities growing up. And, you know, now it's kind of a cool thing to be nerdy, but it wasn't always the case. And having, Oh God, though. Yeah. Yeah. Having you be able to like shed that light. And I know, you know, talking about mental health issues as well, it's not easy to get 40 episodes in, in a year. Right. Especially when you've got your own battles with self-doubt, anxiety, things along those lines. And to say nothing of kids and COVID and all the rest of the garbage that's been going on. Yeah. No joke. And you're here doing it, man. So kudos to you, Kev. Couldn't happen without you, Saint. So I'm, I'm, it's been fun watching you kick this thing off and keep it going, man. I'm proud of you for, for sticking with it. Here, here. God damn it. Don't make me cry now. It's too early. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Well, Steven. you can always blame the onions on your burger if it comes down yeah, to it. Go. That's what I'm going to do. That's true. So, okay. <laughs> All that said and done. I appreciate it, guys. It, it's been a life. It's been a passion for me, a lifeline for me, an ability to, because I mean, we all have very busy lives, and it's really difficult to uh, make that time to sit down and have these. Just I used to call them coffee conversations because we always used to get together, at like a, you know, the Denny's or the Sherry's or whatever it is in your local area, the overnight coffee places, and go after a D and D game or go after a LARP or a SCA event and just shoot the shit and just talk about whatever. And I miss that. And being an adult sucks most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if somebody had sold me the bill of goods of, uh, you know, what the actual adulthood thing was going to be before I had a chance to actually do it, I think I would have opted out. I just would have like not signed the ULA. I would have been done. <laughs> it has its advantages, but you know, I don't, I'm not so sure they're outweighed by the, uh, the, 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 the bad things, but you know, yeah. I mean, I like I whiskey and all, but geez, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I keep seeing the, the meme on Facebook that I, you know, we all at some point just kind of stop aging on the inside, but the outside keeps on running that road. So all of us are kind of just, you know, 15 year olds with drinking licenses, essentially. <laughs> it's true. All right. So here's what I want to do. I am not 
the biggest Bob's Burgers fan out there by any stretch of the imagination. I came into it rather late. Uh, I know I came into it right around like a season or two ago, which, like I said, is really late. But I know of the following and of the fandom that is attached to it. It's got a very particular and a very vocal fandom to it. Now, Jim, I know you've been uh, into Bob's Burgers far longer than me. Uh, how would you, uh, if you were to have to sum up Bob's Burgers in like a sentence or two to kind of throw it down for the layperson, how would you describe it? Well, just the uh, the sort of elevator pitch, um, which is an old screenwriting term of Bob's Burgers, is that it's a a family that runs a restaurant in a nebulous, unidentified coastal resort town, and they kind of get through things with love and support because the customer base just, you know, they're always on the verge of failure. But in that sort of like hardship, they they find moments of uh, of, of true family togetherness and 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 uh, just heartwarming humor. Um, but it goes deeper than that. I mean, I think I've seen, this is not an original idea by any stretch of the imagination or an original observation. Uh, I've read this a few times from different folks that write for entertainment and I very much agree with it, that we're sort of used to having a certain template for the animated primetime comedy um, on television now that kind of goes back you know, as far as The Simpsons and Family Guy. And those are the two that kind of get compared to Bob's Burgers you know, most often because they're all family uh, comedies and animated. So they all sort of occupy the same general niche within the entertainment world. But what sets Bob's Burgers apart to me, and again, this is not an original observation, but whereas a lot of the humor on the Simpsons and family guy comes from conflict, whether it's, uh, you know, Homer choking Bart or Peter, ah, shut up, Meg, what, you know, whatever it is that they do, there's, there's a lot of animosity um, between the Simpsons and um, the Griffins, but Bob's Burgers is a little different. Um, they're still misfits, but they're one of the few functional families on television. Um, they don't always get along. They get upset with each other sometimes. There are some outrageous situations they have to deal with. But they get through it all with love and support. Um, and it's just really touching to watch. These people, they genuinely love each other. And it's just so great to see that. Because, I mean, you know, we didn't all grow up in functional families. I, mine is, was more functional than most. I had an idyllic childhood. So maybe that's why I relate to it you know, as much as I do. But... You know, the Belchers, as, as weird as they are and as distinct as all their personalities are, and even though conflict does arise on occasion within their family unit with, you know, money things, that's a big motivator, a conflict motivator in a lot of episodes is the joke is that they're perpetually broke because the restaurant's always on the verge of insolvency. The rent's always late. You know, sometimes they have to scramble to get supplies, but they always make it through. Um, but the fact that they just do it together, and even though they get irritated sometimes, they never resort to, like, choking each other or screaming at each other or you know, beating each other up, like, you know, it's not over the top, like some animation is. It's very touching. It's very heartwarming. And this is a one of the few families in animation that you'd actually want to belong to, but either as a friend or as a, a family member. I get that. Steven, do you have any experience with Bob's Burgers or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like you, Kevin. I'm kind of the opposite. I haven't watched the, the most recent couple of seasons, but I, uh, I was one of the early adopters of Bob's Burgers. And, uh, you know, looking at Jim's thoughts on that, you know, really hit home and sort of, uh, you know, it was very nostalgic, right? Thinking about Bob's Burgers and what, why I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it. And, you know, even going back to the conversations that we talked about <clears throat> and with like inclusivity and uh, the uniqueness of individuals, Bob's Burgers, the Belcher family is very much made up of you know five individuals who are all very unique in their own way but they never hesitate to participate in one another's life 
so you'll see Bob, who uh, is very clearly uh, somebody we could probably all relate to. He's rocking his sweatpants, his non-slip shoes. He's got hairy arms, um, always, <laughs> always struggling to uh, keep himself composed. But in every episode, he's out there crawling around with his kids, um, getting himself in equally as much trouble. Um, sometimes, you know, you might find him in a crawl space behind a wall, hiding from his in-laws, which I just watched that one the other day. I love that one. Great <laughs> one. That we can all relate to, right? Or, you know, he's, um, just hanging out with his buddies who are constantly in the shop. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, Jim's thought, and I know you said it wasn't original. That was fantastic. I just really appreciated, uh, how you tied oh, that all together that. so beautifully, man. That's the positive side of getting someone who's a writer as a co-host. He's very <laughs> eloquent when you need him to be eloquent. Ah, yeah. says you. Ah. I'm, a, I'm a math guy, so I went into numbers for a reason. Uh, my eloquence is not taught much at all. And, and math I, is the language of the universe. And I have a face made for radio, so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so like I said, I've been late adopter to Bob's Burgers, but uh, like I said, one of the one of the ongoing threads between the episodes is the fact that Bob uh, is is this culinary kind of adventurous person trapped in the body of a short order cook, yeah, which is that. and I really felt that. Uh, what we did for this episode, and we're going to talk more about this in the second segment, but what we did for this episode is we all uh, chose a burger out of the Bob's Burger Burger Book and created it uh, so we could kind of have that, like, we, we've seen the show, we've heard the show, but now we've tasted a little bit of the show, which is kind of what we wanted to do. And, and I know that's really hard to get across in an audio media, but we're going to make an effort at it. So, but I, I got real adventurous because I realized I'm going to have to feed my entire family after this too. So I decided I wanted to make, uh, I tried three different types of the burgers. And again, we'll talk about that. Uh, uh, when we're done, my cat is back there chewing really loudly, stupid cat. But, uh, we're going to talk about that later, but, uh, I really felt that short order cook panic set in because I didn't do between work and shopping and everything else today, I did not manage my time correctly. And so this last hour before, or it was like an hour and a half, I decided, because I had everything for one of the burgers except one of the key ingredients, which is not to be found at any other place in town except one. And so uh, I decided, uh, my wife very graciously decided to do the dishes, clear the counters off for me so I could get to cooking. And I decided well, while she's doing that, I'm going to run to the store real quick. I'm going to grab this one ingredient if they've got it. And if so, that'll be the third burger. That's really the one I wanted to do. So I and said, if it is the that. one that I think you're talking about. That's the one that in the episode, Bob also has a really hard time sourcing that particular ingredient. So that's a nice tie in. It is. And, and so we'll talk about that. But I really felt that kind of short order cook panic set in. And, and, and I haven't felt that in a long time. So, uh, but I get it. He's kind of this. Bob Belcher is this short order cook uh, who has delusions of grandeur, basically. Yep. He wants to be uh, like Michelin starred. He wants to be Gordon Ramsay. He wants to be a Bobby Flay. He wants his name to be the preeminent name in burgers. But he works in a shitty little burger house in, in, in New Jersey <laughs> and has to deal constantly with his family's infighting while he tries to uh, make his way, make his mark. And then I kind of get that because 
you know, we all try to make our mark in this world and, and, and one thing or another can kind of get in the way. Family can get in the way. Uh, having a real job can get in the way. Uh, lack of technical skill can get in the way, but we won't get into that. That is but... the, the other thing that makes it relatable. You're right. The fact that Bob, he, he, he has the talent. He just needs a break. I mean, you know, I think there's not a sing- there's not a single person alive who can't relate to, you know, I have this particular passion, and if I could just find somebody who'd let me indulge it, if I could just get a break, if the right restaurant reviewer would come in, if the right, you know, A&R person would come in to hear my band, if the right agent would read my book, it, you know, I, I have what it takes to make it. I just need that break. And so that's a universally relatable sort of mindset. And Bob definitely embodies that because you're right. I mean, you know, he, he has such passion for what he does. And you can tell that in, in every episode, he's in the kitchen just trying to perfect that burger. And, you know, the, the Bob's Burgers Burger book was, you know, a, a result of people noticing. It's kind of like if you can, it's, it's analogous to the Simpsons uh, uh, blackboard joke in the beginning when Bart's writing a different phrase on the blackboard. They have a couple of those in the intro of every episode of Bob's Burgers also, but but it was kind of like an almost uh, um, Abram Zucker sort of background joke the longest time that the sharp-eyed viewers would notice this, this white, this blackboard uh, behind Bob with the burger of the day on it. Now it's had a really punny title. But as we all came to discover, as we kind of perused the burger book and, and made some some burgers out of it, that even though the uh, the titles were a little funny on some of these, you know, reverse engineering burger recipes out of them, um, made for some surprisingly edible burgers. Uh, and I think uh, I'm, I'm going to be working my way through this book and probably building a couple of more of these even after we're done here. And see, that's the glory thing about hamburgers. Hamburgers are essentially boiled down to it, fairly simplistic. It's a topping game for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless you're doing something funky with the meat, uh, it's mostly a topping game. And so what kind of crazy concoctions can you come up with that shouldn't go together, but do go together. But, but, you know, this sounds so wrong, but it tastes so right. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've been a real recent convert convert. I've, I've always had kind of the similar taste in burgers as a bacon cheeseburger, sometimes with an egg, you know, hard to beat the classics, basic classic. Until, and real recently, uh, one of the only restaurant outings we've had since COVID kicked in, uh, one, like, one, like one of three for me or something like that, in like an eight or nine month time period is ridiculous because I'm a foodie and I love to go out and eat and I can't and it's driving me crazy. But for my Amen. birthday, we went to this place uh, at the local mall here. It's called Stack 571. And Stack 571 is a whiskey and burger joint. And they've got some of the most interesting combinations of burgers that I've ever seen. And of course, really old, really good whiskey, which is fantastic. But uh, they had a peanut butter and jelly burger. And now I've heard for years you can do peanut butter on a burger, but I've never tried it. I've never used peanut butter in like a savory kind of way like that. You know what I mean? It's always been kind of a company with like chocolate or yeah, I've only ever used peanut butter in, in, in like uh, Asian recipes. Like I'll make a pad thai or I'll make pad thai, like yeah. peanut butter as a binder with like egg roll filling. But, uh, you know, on a burger, that's that's an interesting idea. How about you, Stephen? You ever had a, a peanut butter or a peanut butter jelly burger? No. No. OK. Well, I hadn't either. And so uh, and in fact, I, I, I picked a burger already, but my son was kind of up in the air. And I'm like, hey, you know, you should uh, you should try this. You like to be adventurous. Right. And, and um, luckily he agreed. And so. Uh, when the burgers all came out and you could see just it was thick with peanut butter, right? And, and it would look like a, a raspberry jam, like a seedless raspberry jam. And so, and bacon, which is a must. Uh, bacon so makes like, everything better. Absolutely. Uh, I've never had 
an experience like that before with a burger. I did not think I would like it. I'm like, this can't work. This shouldn't be. This is an abomination. <laughs> the next night we came home and we made burgers home at home and I got all the stuff and I made, I recreated that burger at home to have it again and again. And it's so fucking good. And so right from that point, I've, I'm, I've decided deviation is best. And that's why when me and you, Jim, were talking about doing this Bob's Burgers thing. And I realized there was an actual cookbook. Thank you very much, Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, I had it in my hands the next day. Thank you, Amazon, for next day shipping. Uh, not a sponsor, but hey, I'll take some money. Go for it. Sure. Um, and so it was really fun getting to look through this cookbook and kind of look at all the wacky uh, uh, beyond the pun, you know, because you can get lost in the pun because the burgers aren't really the focus of the show. So you can see the pun. And you can kind of go, okay, so that's like, oh, it's the foot feta-ish burger. Okay, so it's obviously got feta on it and and, and whatnot. But you're able to kind of dig deeper and see the more uh, ingredient-driven process of this and, and kind of really get behind the genius of the mind of Bob Belcher, which is kind of cool. Yeah, just and, to, I mean, I'm not going to – I hope I don't touch any that we actually made, but I'm just open to the to – the, um, the table of contents of this burger book. And some of these are just absolutely baby. Can you chive my car? Um, the six scallion dollar man burger, 50 ways to leave your guava burger. Um, you know, some, I heart a choke you burger. The uh, we're here. We're Gruyere. Get used to it. Burger. I mean, the, the, the writers just had to come up with a punny title for some of these and, and uh, Plymouth Roquefort burger. I'm going to get you suck attached burger. I mean, they're just brilliantly written just as titles and to come up with a new punny burger every every episode and just kind of get that wordplay going on. You know, at some point, I'm sure somebody just looked over their shoulder uh, or over Bob's shoulder in the episode and thought, you know, some of these don't actually sound half bad. Yeah, you know, they decided to put them together. They say real recipes for joke burgers, but some of these recipes, not a joke, man. There's a lot of skill involved. (laughs) And, uh, you know, similar to like Kevin's experience, uh, when St. reached out to me and said, hey, we want to do this episode on Bob's Burgers. We're going to go through this Bob's Burgers cookbook. I was like, what? There's a cookbook? Same thing, next day delivery, had it oh, yeah. in my hands, was thumbing through it. And I have to remember, you know, with this podcast that uh, there's no there's no video, even though we can see each other through Zoom. And so my apologies for the awkward pauses as I'm shaking my head and things along those lines. But uh, I love that we're talking about burgers because when Saint's sitting there talking about peanut butter on a burger, he was like flushed. Like, you know, sort of like he just made love for the first time. No, I was, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to admit I was a little bit sexually excited. It's, it's kind of exciting for me. Sometimes peanut butter will do that. Yeah, you're kind of missing that. If you <laughs> At least I'm not wearing shorts or yeah, sweatpants. Well, I didn't expect the new Xbox to be on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to take a real short break. When we come back from this break, we're going to kind of delve into the burgers that we created and kind of go down a few of the burgers in this cookbook to kind of just explore the genius of Bob Belcher uh, from Bob's Burgers, as written by Lauren Burchard and uh, presented to the world on a plate. So stick around. We'll be right back from the season finale of the Feel Your Fandom podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. All right, so here's the kind of the part that we geared up for today. And uh, during the break, we took a few more bites of the things that we created. But uh, we really wanted to kind of sink our teeth in, no pun intended, to the genius of the burger creations of 
uh, Bob Belcher. And so uh, let's start with Stephen. Stephen, as our guest for the podcast, we're going to let you go first. You had, did you do two choices or was it just the one? I forget. Yeah, I did two. Okay. Um, And and like we were mentioning before the break, some of these recipes are actually, you can just tell they're going to be really delicious. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do something that would be um, a little adventurous and a little out there. And I love the fact looking at my cookbook now, it's all covered in grease. (laughs) Uh, But I did the uh, Shake Your Honeymaker Burger and the Sympathy for the Deviled Egg Burger. A, because I never eat egg salad. And B, I've never had it on a burger. Uh, And something about Shake Your Honeymaker Burger, which is caramelized onions, feta cheese, dates, and honey on a burger. I was like, ah, it's a little out there for me. And so I wanted to to sign up for that. And I have to say, going through these recipes, um, I'm pretty impressed with the thoughtfulness and robustness of, you know, what you would look for in what what makes up umami right in, mm-hmm. in some type of foods so that you see like hints of vinegar and salt and heat and fat and all these things are going into these burger recipes um some you might want to use your discretion on uh, how much seasoning they recommend uh so i i followed these recipes to a t uh sort of knowing how they would turn out right i did the and, same uh, thing yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and so the the deviled egg burger wasn't bad wasn't great. Uh, one of the reasons is, is that it's so they, they have this deviled egg salad recipe and it's seven eggs and you remove some of the whites, right? Make it extra creamy, but it asks for like a teaspoon of paprika. And oh, Jesus. I mean, I, I've got good paprika here anyway, but even if you don't, um, it just tastes like a burger with paprika and sort of like that, that hint of fart that, you know, you love it. <laughs> but, um, the hint of fart. That's fantastic. But, you know, like if I was to do it again after tasting it, like the potential's there. Like if I put a little bit more pickle relish in there, cut back on the paprika, I think that there's an opportunity. But something that blew my mind and I was just sitting here eating the other half of it is this like shake your honeymaker burger. Um, I was thinking dates honey, caramelized onions would be just too much. Uh, it's a lot of sweetness there, but the caramelized onions, uh, they recommend putting in thyme and sherry vinegar, putting that on the burger. And the dates, um, you know, I, I got the the unsweetened dates because dates are like nature's candy anyway. For sure. And then the, the tanginess of that feta cheese actually made for a really fucking fantastic burger. Like that is something that I would make for my family and friends and, uh, have to give credit to the cookbook for it was uh it was pretty fantastic and you know nice. the, when it comes to the patty i just took a pound of ground beef and like they recommended just salt and pepper and put it onto a flat top and uh gave it some love so it was a it was a really really good burger yeah you know i mean that's the thing that um i think i found most interesting about this too is that spinning through trying to decide what burger to make i mean a lot of these combinations of ingredients they, they sound like they're, they're pretty off the wall, but you're, you're absolutely right about, you know, all the components that you want for a good flavor profile there. You got a little acid, you got a little heat, you got a little salt, um, some sweetness to cut through sometimes. So, I mean, you know, I, I know we've, we've kind of made this point more than once, but like the, the folks who put this together, Lauren Bouchard and his team of writers and whoever the culinary folks were that helped them kind of craft the recipes, they weren't messing around. There might be funny joke pun burgers, but, uh, you know, I didn't see many in here that I wouldn't at least want to try at some point or another. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I went through and actually like folded the corners on my book or, or sticky noted some of these on recipes that I would legitimately try because they sound delicious. And then as I was making these burgers that I didn't think I would normally try just because we we're doing the podcast, um, I thought it'd be kind of fun. I was pleasantly surprised. So I will, uh, I'll continue to thumb through this book for, for inspiration. And even Kevin talked about um, stack over here in Olympia and uh, up until this burger uh, cookbook, you know, I haven't really been inspired uh, since I've gone to like stack. Cause I tried their Bon Me burger one time and it blew my mind. It was delicious. Yeah, so I looked at that one when I was there. I didn't get that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's fun to actually like pick up this cookbook and realize that there's some, some real genius culinary genius behind these pages. Right. And, not, and like I said, burgers are fun because it, it, a, a real basic, simple burger is just going to be, you know, a good, a good chuck, uh, salt, pepper, maybe some butter to baste, and that's it. And you don't really need to do a whole lot for a good burger. But what the the accoutrement, the things that go with it, are really where you can kind of flex that individuality and that and that creative muscle, and just really, you can go off the wall. At least judging by some of these, you can just go nuts. Well, and that is where the spirit of Bob kind of infuses the pages, because as, as you said earlier, he's he's a guy who aspires to elevate the humble burger. To the level of Michelin star cooking, to the level of, uh, you know, he, he's in a resort town and he, he really wants to um, to siphon off some of Jimmy Pesto's customers who are eating their, <laughs> you know, mass produced Olive Garden sort of level of food. He's, he's, he's inexplicably successful, even though his food isn't that great. Whereas Bob across the street is, is making these artful burgers, which we've proven are artful burgers by our experiments today. And, uh, you know, he, he gets Teddy and sometimes Mort and then the occasional drifter to come into the, the place. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to to make a decent burger, but to do what Bob did and just really elevate some of these burgers to high art, that takes, uh, that takes some inspiration and some, some uh, willing, willingness to take risks. So Jim, which burger did you end up picking, Jim? Well, I only made the one burger. I kind of fell behind you guys in terms of the uh, ambition, but, but well, to my, to my defense, um, I actually went with the poutine on the Ritz burger. And that was for a couple of reasons. Um, First and foremost, uh, because the, the, the episode in which poutine on the Ritz is featured is Beef Squatch, season two, episode nine. And it is far and away, even now, my favorite episode. Um, it's a Gene episode, and I love Gene. And he's just hilarious in it. And there are just moments in that that I can watch over and over again, and they make me laugh every single time. You so, seem a, like it's a my Gene. favorite episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure whether to thank you for that or not, but I'm going to take that as a compliment, even whether it's the <laughs> one or not. Um, but then the, uh, the other reason I chose it is because, as we have already established, I'm a Wisconsin boy. And the recipe calls for fresh cheese curds. And, you know, uh, you can get cheese curds a lot of different places, but you won't find the squeaky fresh cheese curds many more places than Wisconsin. Um, but I, I do feel a little bit lazy that I only made the one. I made two burgers and I ate both burgers, the same burger. But the poutine on the Ritz burger, uh, out of necessity, in order to sort of like comply with the conceit of the burger, does call for a side of fries. And the, the fry recipe on page nine of the book uh, how to cook your own fries faultlessly is an incredibly specific um, type of recipe that I had never really tried before. I do make French fries at home. I just cut potatoes and usually fry them in the peanut oil, yeah. toss them with a little salt and call it a day. But the Bob's Burgers method of cooking fries calls for blanching them in ice water for at least five minutes to remove the extra starch, patting them dry, putting them in a lower 325 degree oil to blanch them for a couple of minutes, taking them out, letting them cool, and then putting them back in for a couple of minutes right before you serve them 
in order to kind of get that mashed potato on the inside, crispy on the outside consistency. And I have to say, it was a, a pretty impressive method. I don't know if the results were necessarily different or good enough for me to want to invest the effort to do them that way going forward from now on. Right. But it was a very different sort of fry. Um, some of them got a little overdone, but that was not the recipe's fault. That was me for cutting some of them a little smaller than others. And they got done faster. But the, um, yeah, the poutine burger on page 28 does call for the, uh, the side of fries with uh, a nice brown gravy. Um, and it, it, it does call for you to toss the fries before you top them with the curd. Okay. Both the fries on the side and the burger are both topped with curds and brown gravy, which I thought was going to be a little too much, but it turned out not to be. Um, the brown gravy on a burger, they just, you know, make a roux with some, uh, some, some butter and, and, and flour and then, you know, top it off with some beef broth and then just make a standard gravy. Um, but I, had, I usually make my gravy with, uh, you know, au jus and then like a cornstarch. So this was a little bit different of a gravy method for me. Um, the one thing that I found interesting or, or at least different <clears throat> about this recipe that I would probably change if I made it again is that tossing the fries in a particular spice mixture before topping them with the curds and the gravy uh, it calls for um, two tablespoons of black pepper, two of paprika, and two tablespoons, two teaspoons of cayenne pepper. And you just put that in like a nice big metal salad bowl and then toss the fries to coat them after you get them out of the oil. And much like Stephen, I actually found the paprika and the cayenne pepper in that amount to be a little overwhelming. Um, I like a little kick, especially if it's a side. I love Cajun food. I love to eat spicy stuff. But... Um, you know, given the amount of cayenne pepper that you were using in this, I did find that to be a little overpowering in the flavor profile, right. not necessarily the heat so much, but it was just a lot of cayenne pepper. But um, I did wind up making two half pound patties out of the uh, the pound of, of chuck that I bought. And I used brioche buns. It didn't say what kind of bun to use in the recipe. It just said, put it on a bun. So I chose brioche. And, um, you know, I really thought it was, it was a messy burger with the gravy and the curd spilling everywhere. Uh, and you had to eat the fries with a spoon because also the presence of the gravy and the curds. But, um, you know, uh, poutine is just one of those things that I really wish had taken off more in this country, especially like where I am in Wisconsin. You know, it calls for uh, a good poutine is, is really simple. It's just fries and brown gravy and then curds. And we have such fresh and delicious curds here in Wisconsin that I'm really surprised that you don't see poutine on more menus. It is a Canadian thing. But as a side, it's just incredibly it's simple and delicious. But any, the complaint that I have about it is that anytime that I see poutine on a menu here, it's always some chef trying to fancy it up, trying to do something different with it. It's yeah. got some brisket in it in the gravy, or it's got like a red eye gravy with beans, or the, the fries are different, or it's, you know, the curds are, it's, they always try and do something gourmet with it to elevate it. And it's, it's Quebecois street food. It's not supposed to be elevated. It's just something you get in a cup with a, a spork and you eat it while you're walking to the next bar. That's, that's all it is. So to try and make it all fancy is kind of defeating the purpose. But, you know, the, the poutine... Oh, and then the, uh, the other thing it calls for the, the, in order to complete the pun is the, uh, the instructions say to, to layer the bottom bun, then the burger, then the curds. Then you put the gravy on top of the curds to kind of melt the curds a little bit while the gravy is still hot. And then you crumble a generous fistful of Ritz crackers on top of the entire mess. Um, <laughs> I was wondering where those that, came in. Yeah, no, that's the one ingredient that I kind of, I'm not going to argue with it because it didn't necessarily take anything away from the experience. Uh, I just didn't find that it added anything. I mean, you couldn't really taste the crackers and there wasn't really much of a texture difference. It's really just mostly for the pun, but at the same time, I wasn't mad at it. Um, the, the burger itself was really tasty. And, and like you guys both did, you know, uh, I just grabbed the chuck and nice, nice uh, 
I think it was a 93.7 ground chuck, and I made two half-pound patties out of it, a little salt and pepper on both sides, just cooked it until the juices ran clear. And, you know, uh, like you said, it's, it's a topping game, you know, it, with burgers in general, especially with this book. But, you know, uh, overall, I wasn't mad at it. The burger itself, the fries, a little overpowering with all that cayenne. But the, uh, the burger, uh, burgers, I made two, and ate them both. Uh, the burgers themselves were actually really tasty. And, you know, you wouldn't think of gravy as being a, a viable burger topping. You tend to think of more like, you know, uh, piquant or savory or, or vinegar-based sauces like a ketchup or a mustard um, a lot of the time. But uh, the gravy was uh, surprisingly tasty on the burger, especially following the recipe I was given, which I did the same thing you guys did. I followed the recipe to the T, whether or not it sounded like something I'd enjoy when I was finished. But, you know, um, as written, it's a good recipe. I just would probably back off on the cayenne a bit if I made it again for myself the next time. Yeah, and... and- I've had the poutine on a burger before. Stack has a poutine burger that my daughter absolutely loves. She's been going through this gravy phase. Like, I don't know what hit, <laughs> what the hell hit her, but I don't think they use the a genuine delicious. cheese curd. So, but I mean, they're using like a mozzarella or a Monterey Jack that melts real easy, but. Yeah, curd uh, is had, such a specific animal. It is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny when we talk about just the, the wide breadth that there is to a burger and mm-hmm. yeah. now when we talk about Bob's Burgers, you know, he is this like line cook trying to like elevate to Michelin star level burgers. Right. And I don't know about you all. I mean, we talk about uh, being chefs in this community or, or being foodies. And I was, I was talking to Saint earlier in the week and, you know, I've, I've had those big fancy burgers, right? Like put foie gras on a burger, put truffles on a burger, fresh ground meat, fancy cheeses, fancy buns. Some people pay like a hundred bucks for a burger. But for me, there's something really special. Like I feel like you're doing a burger right if it's as greasy and white going in as it is coming out. And like <laughs> with Bob, you know, some of these burgers, even as fancy <laughs> putting <laughs> even as fancy as putting like dates and things on there, it still had this like wine greasy sort of feel to it and i i actually was originally going to make the poutine burger but i thought about i looked at the fry recipe and i was like ah it's too much for me this time um <laughs> and instead made a second it burger was a lot together. but uh you know just the thought of gravy on a burger and just adding that next level of like fatty greasiness sloppy uh, fatty yeah, I, was, I was happy jim did it just lived vicariously <laughs> through his, his it, it shouldn't have worked but it really did See, now I get, I was now, a lot of people who know me know I love to cook. And, and, and uh, before I did this uh, podcast, I had a cooking show on YouTube that uh, about 10 people watched, but whatever. Uh, it, it's a cooking show called Cooking Ain't Complicated. And I really enjoy showing uh, the finer points of basic cooking skill and cooking technique to people who didn't uh, maybe necessarily possess that skill or I, my basic goal for that was to demystify the kitchen experience to kind of make it more accessible to people and and kind of explain that you know you don't if you burn water whatever there's got to be a recipe you can be good at so um, I, I I tend to run that gamut of uh, wanting to be lazy about it and be like I'm done I don't want to do anything and, and and then I had to get this wild hair up my ass to go like no okay. I'm going to go super focused. I'm going to make everything from scratch. Everything's going to be great. Hey, maybe I'll grind my own meat. I've got the meat grinder. I can get that. And it's like, holy shit. No, dude, just. mm." As Carl Sagan said, if you want to bake an apple pie, you must first invent the universe. (laughs) It feels like that sometimes. And, 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 and Steven in particular is one of my, uh, my go-to foodie guys because uh, Steven uh, does a lot of, 
cooking and baking and preparation and uh he does these most gorgeous gorgeous recipes and he and he, he photos them up real well he takes a glamour shot of food like nobody's business and and so i've always kind of felt and, and Stephen, i hope you're not offended by this but i've always felt this kind of like this rivalry with you like a brotherly rivalry with you it's like oh steven's gonna do this i, I gotta show him up i gotta i gotta bake my own cake or i gotta i gotta make something really kind of next level to kind of uh, Steven shows a picture. Oh, that's really good. Or here's my picture. It's like, oh shit! Now Steven did this. It's like, oh, well, fuck! Now I got to do something next level. And so I, I heard we were talking over the week, and, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm probably going to do these two burgers. And I'm like, shit, I can't decide on one burger. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't intend to do three burgers, but guess what? I did three burgers. And the reason that I mention it like that is because uh, the one burger, the main burger that I wanted to do, was a burger called. Uh, bet it all on black garlic burger and that is from season five episode five best burger and And that is what i was referring to earlier where in that episode bob was trying to source the black garlic for this food contest and it became you know a a, a zany madcap roller coaster of mishaps and and missteps but that black garlic it's hard to find yeah i literally only know of one restaurant or not restaurant excuse me i literally only know of one uh, grocery store in the area and it's kind of one of those higher end grocery stores that has the black garlic and lucky for me i work in grocery i'm in and out of grocery stores every day all day and so i was able to kind of know in the back of my mind that maybe i could get it there but it's kind of cost prohibitive so i kind of started buying all the ingredients to do this burger and that was the key ingredient that i was missing but while I was doing that, I had two other burgers that I was interested in doing. And so I was sourcing all of that because it's mainly cheese. I'll just say it right now. It's mainly cheese. I bought like eight, yeah. nine different types of cheese for this. So uh, so like a standard Wisconsin shopping trip. Exactly. And so <laughs> I decided to do three burgers and I ended up like scrambling at the end. And and it's funny. We talk about the basic burger necessities, you know, beef, salt, pepper, fat, done. Because two of the three burgers you had to actually add stuff to the meat. It had to be different. Oh. And so with the bed it all on black burger, that was the only one that had a basic burger to it. But the other accoutrement to that one was uh, the black garlic, of course, which is a super, I've never, I've never worked with it before. I've never dealt with it before. I've never had it before, but it's, it's this super funky kind of like a little bit of a dankness to the smell uh, like when I opened, it, it came two two heads in in a like a zipper bag, and it was like ten bucks something. So I mean, it's it's pretty spendy, but I'm a garlic lover at heart, and so if it's a, it's a new way to eat garlic, I'm gonna I'm gonna freaking find a way to do it. And it's 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 sold as being this smoky, spreadable kind of funky thing, and so the recipe calls for. You peel and do the whole head of garlic. You toss that in a food processor with uh, mayonnaise and a little sriracha and a little salt. And you pulse that until it's a puree. And this, it's, it's, it's like gray. It's very, very weird because it's still got the flecks of the black garlic in it. So it's not very super appealing looking. But, uh, and then you top of the burger with that. 
a slice or two of fresh mozzarella, like not like the super hard, like low fat moisture removed mozzarella, but like the really like the stuff you make yourself in the bag with the cheesecloth on the Reddit. Yeah, kind of like I've never done that, but I plan. But look to. at Cheese Boy doing a flex over here. I've made farmer cheese before a couple of times. I'm I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> so we do around here when it gets really cold. You can't go outside. <laughs> now, now, now you'll have your Xbox to play. Shut up. <laughs> but uh. And then on the bottom, you put a little baby spinach. So it's really, it's basically just black garlic, spinach, uh, sriracha, uh, salt, pepper. I mean, it's it's pretty basic outside of that uh, mayonnaise that you make, the black garlic mayonnaise. And, and it's it's earthy. It's funky. It's delicious. I, I enjoy it. It's fantastic. I might, 10 out of 10 would do again. And so that was the first burger. Now I'm going to kind of go a little faster because I, I know nobody wants to hear me just wax nerdy about burgers for two hours. So well, I have to say really quick that we were talking ahead of time and all of us being foodies, you were the only one out of the three of us who have been able to try this black garlic. We're all a little bit jealous. I feel like I have to try it because you described it with three adjectives that I feel describe me, which is not appealing, yeah, funky, funky, funky and spreadable. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and so now I need to go to our local grocery store and pick me up some black garlic and see what I'm all about. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, Stephen. You're killing me. All right. So the second burger I made is from season five, episode six, which is the next episode in, in line chronologically, which I did not plan. But it's called it's from the episode Father of the Bob. It's a burger called Cheeses is Born. Now, this burger is, I mean, you start with, you, you make some buttered garlic mushrooms, right? You like your saute mushrooms and garlic adds and butter. And, and then you toss in two uh, Roma tomatoes. You dice up two Roma tomatoes after you seed them and toss that in. And you make this topping of mushroom garlic tomato. And then it's uh, uh, brown mustard into the burger meat. So you oh. just you take a little bit of brown mustard, you work it into the burger, and then form your burger, which makes it a bit mushier because uh, it doesn't compensate. We didn't have breadcrumbs or anything like that to compensate for the extra moisture. So it's a little bit looser than I would have liked normally as a burger. Uh, and I'm not a huge mustard fan to begin with, but it, the burger meat was fantastic. It came out perfect. And, uh, and it was a green leaf lettuce, uh, Swiss and Jarlsberg cheese, and then uh, that mushroom, tomato, garlic mix, and then uh, a dollop of brown gravy on top of that. Uh, and, and again, like Jim was talking with the gravy burger, but the poutine burger, it was very, very messy, uh, mm -hmm. delicious, fantastically delicious. Uh, I, anything with like sauteed mushrooms on it, I'm going to go for in a heartbeat. So uh, Loads of umami in that, just glutamates for days. Right, and then the Swiss cheese and everything like that's perfectly... Perfectly wonderful and, and fairly uh, standard, but uh, the mushroom mix is really kind of what throws that over. And then the last burger, uh, just because I love, uh, I'm lactose intolerant. Most people know that. To, not to a huge degree, but enough that it, if I have a cup of ice cream, it's going to trouble me later. You poor bastard. <laughs> and trouble everyone in my household, too. Uh, so this burger, naturally, yeah, exactly. This burger naturally spoke to me. It's called the Don't You For Cheddar About Me Burger. And it's from season three, episode 13, Lindependent Woman. Now, this burger, again, like I said, I had to manipulate the meat uh, twice for this. Uh, <laughs> you had to manipulate your meat twice. All right. <laughs> All right. But uh, 
this has four different kinds of cheeses in it. It's got a uh, uh, sharp white cheddar and uh, sharp yellow cheddar uh, that you kind of crumble into, like you get the slices and you crumble it up and you mix it in with the ground beef and you make oh. a patty like that. And so it's kind of building its own cheese skirt as it fries, which is kind of nice. Oh no. And then you top that with your standard burger toppings, bacon, uh, white onion, lettuce, uh, and then two other kinds of cheeses, which is a yellow mild and a white horseradish cheddar, which again, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of horseradish. A lot of people know that about me, but uh, for the sake of making the burger the way it's supposed to be made, put it all together. So it's like a nice applewood smoked bacon, pepper bacon, and and like four kinds of cheeses. I was sunk. It was done. And so that was a third burger. And uh, I think that was the one I was burning when we started the Zoom call because <laughs> I kept putting my uh, my Kaiser rolls. I put all three of them on a regular Kaiser roll and, and then I put them in the, the oven and uh, I promptly forgot about them while I was doing other things because I was short order oh, cooking man. it all over the place. I burned two different buns doing that. So I just have the same thing. For You're manipulating your meat and burning your buns. Use four slices of cheese. What's What was that, Stephen? Oh, sorry. I uh, I was saying I'm just happy that we're doing this over Zoom after you had four slices of cheese on that burger. I took a lactate pill. <laughs> my wife's no dummy. She put a box of lactate pills in my desk beside my uh, chair. So it's every she time. Not, uh, she doesn't <laughs> enjoy your methane cuddles. <laughs> we have to share a bedroom. So she's it's preemptive attacking. So, but uh all three of the burgers that I had, I, I really enjoyed. And I, I'm not sure if I enjoyed them just because of uh, the taste of them, which, I mean, I'm sure there's that's part of it. But I think the adventurousness of it and, and this, the walking outside of my own uh, comfort zone for a few of these uh, might have added to the additional uh, uh, enjoyment and, 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 and uh, fun that I had making these burgers. So... But I mean, this cookbook is just super ridiculous. You could basically close the cookbook in front of you, pick a page at random. That's not random because that page was held open. So I'm going to move past that one. That one's kind of marked now. Yeah, twice in a row. But you can go to like a random page. We're here. We're Gruyere. Get used to it. Season three, episode three, Bob fires the kids. Haven't we all wanted to fire our kids? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I keep trying, they keep refusing. Now I know what Robert felt like when he tried to fire me from McDonald's and they wouldn't let him. Uh, but this is basically just a, a coarsely chopped yellow onion sauteed in uh, uh, butter, au jus gravy mix, French onion soup. Uh, yeah, holy shit, that's just super easy. That sounds really good, though. Yeah. Uh, prepare the au jus. Um, and just, yeah, mix it with the right amount of water in a saucepan, set aside. So this one is another one where you have to, quote unquote, manipulate the meat. You got to work the hey French, uh, French onion soup in with the ground beef. Uh, don't need to season, season with salt and pepper. It kind of does that for you. And then you just kind of au it when you're done. And it's, it's basically like French onion soup. And that sounds amazing as a burger. <laughs> I would eat 10 of those. It really does. Now, you know, I, I keep on looking through this this book too, just as you're kind of talking about it. I'm seeing like a leak of their own burger. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, season four, episode four. That calls for it's a feta and garlic stuffed lamb burger topped with braised leeks and mustard greens. And that just sounds amazing. It does. Parma Parma chameleon burger. 
But I'm, I'm actually looking at this now and just realizing that um, I, I, I just looked up to see what season we're on. And, uh, it's like 11. Season 11. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm not seeing a, a burger in here that goes past like. It's like season, season five, I think, was the last five. one. Yeah. So I'm sure there's probably a second edition of this book coming. And, and I will buy it without hesitation when it drops just because of the good time I've had even not even just eating the burger that I made today, but just thumbing through this, this book and seeing, like you said, and Steven said, just thumbing through this book and realizing how good all of these recipes are as, as you, you know, just kind of make your way through it. And, and, and all of them, like you said, you can open to any page and they all sound like they're an amazing burger. Something that I, I really enjoy about this is I think, you know, all of our personalities, um, we can kind of appreciate the humor in some of these burgers. I mean, they go as far as I think it's page 50, the human polenta peat burger, <laughs> which you, know, you normally, you normally wouldn't go, you wouldn't go there. Right. But it's three different burgers with polenta buns that are I love polenta. one after another. Um, I wasn't ready to take that, that leap of faith yet, but I did try to be a little adventurous and Kevin, I'm a little mad at you um, because you know, I, I agree. It's kind of this fun, inspirational rivalry. And I was so bummed to hear that you made three burgers after I told you that I did two. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Gotta step up your game, son. Yeah, it's fun. Though. It's fun. It's fun. No, I was looking at this one here and this one kind of got my attention, but it's definitely a summer burger because it's harder to find good watermelon, flavorful watermelon this time of year. But it's uh, the summertime burger. Of course, time spelled T-H-Y-M-E. Uh, again, from the episode, uh, Bob Fires the Kids. It's mayo, feta cheese, and then this burger is uh, got thyme into the burger. Rosemary and thyme in the burger and with feta. And then a grilled slice of watermelon and regular lettuce. And then I'm so curious because I've never had watermelon in a savory way that it would be interesting to see that paired with that natural funk of a feta cheese. Um, I do I love know. a good feta. Mm. I actually got introduced to feta cheese during uh, sophomore year in high school. We were because Colorado Springs ain't nobody know nothing about no Greek food or anything like that. We're about as uh, culturally aware as white bread. Uh, so uh, it was really, it was a, it was a wide awakening when I came to the Pacific Northwest where we just have this wonderful food culture up here. Um, but yeah, I mean, so adventurous and, and feta cheese was just, it was like, oh, this is this stinky cheese. And I'm like, why would I want to eat stinky cheese? I can eat cheese that smells good. Oh man, stinky cheese is some of the best cheese, though. I've learned I love, that. I love Greek food so much that I went to the Greek food, a Greek food festival in Vegas when I lived there a couple of years ago, and it was at the Greek Orthodox Church, and they had a huge food, just a tents and and uh, you know just a big, ostensibly just about food. And I had God, I had souvlaki and domades and spanakopita and pastizo and gyros and and Ooh. everything, and it was just and I, I actually I'm not sure what it was. But something I ate gave me food poisoning, and I didn't care. I went back the next day anyway because whatever it was, it was so delicious. But I just made the other day, speaking of weird food um, and talking about weird burgers that aren't even in the, the Bob's Burgers book, uh, a couple of years ago, there was a show on Food Network, I think, called Frankenfood. And it was all these chefs that came and like made weird hybrid recipes of different ingredients you wouldn't expect to go together. And I got one of my favorite recipes out of that, and it was for a burger. It was the spaghetti and meatballs burger, and it was a half and half mix of ground beef and Italian sausage. And you pre-cook spaghetti noodles and mix the noodles right into the meat, like manipulating your meat all over again. <laughs> what? So you put the noodles right in the meat, 
and then you you you, uh, you cooked the patty, and the noodles kind of got crispy, and the ones inside stayed you know noodly. Um, but then you served it on some garlic Texas toast with marinara sauce and mozzarella, and that was delicious. But that sounds one of the incredible. It was amazing. I highly recommend that. And it just I just gave you the whole recipe. But the other thing that I just I just made these like three or four days ago. Jot that down, on the, fanatics. On the Greek food tip, there's a restaurant here in Milwaukee called Wicked Hop, and they were actually on that same show. It was a different episode, but they made gyro rolls. And what they did was they took gyro meat off the cone with some feta cheese and a little bit of tomato and like, a, like a, almost a diced pico, like consistency of tomato and onions, and put that in egg roll wrappers and then fried those. And then you could dip it in tzatziki sauce. Holy so everything, the, the entire, everything that's, that's a part of the gyro filling <laughs> like you'd have in a flatbread or a pita, and then it's inside of an egg roll wrapper, deep fried, and then dipped in, in tzatziki. And that was, I just made those at home, like maybe two or three days ago, and they were outstanding. I'm sweating. That sounds so delicious. I think I just filled the cup. <laughs> <laughs> and the same, they do things seasonally. Like, that's what they have in the summer. And then in the springtime, like, if it's over March, they have Reuben rolls, which is the same thing. It's, it's uh, pulled, sauerkraut uh, brisket, and brisket. Pulled brisket and, yeah. with sauerkraut and, you know, a little bit of uh, shredded uh, uh, Swiss cheese and some sauerkraut in the egg roll wrapper. You dip it in Thousand Island. So... That yeah, sounds sort of fucking phenomenal. It doesn't it though, and they were they were super great. <laughs> uh, I'm glad this is Corned not a visual media. This is not a visual media because, uh, like Stephen was saying, I'm getting flushed over here. This is this is my thing, man. I, I love talking about food, and, and as much as a nerd as I am for things like Star Trek and Star Wars and, and video games, and and I am, believe you me, make I make no am. mistake. Food is like one of my number one passions and to hear it kind of talked to in such pornographic and just downright <laughs> denigrating terms. It's just, it makes me want to do some bad things to some good food. So, well, we all got to eat every day. We might as well make it, you know, something interesting and fun. Well, absolutely. I think uh, John's been talking, I've been talking to John about things like that. Now another friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours now, John champion, who does the, uh, the uh, Star Trek podcast mission log is one of the biggest foodies I've ever met. Well, met, talked to over the internet. We haven't actually met physically, but uh, we have a standing lunch date now that whenever I make it down to uh, LA, we're going to go to Musso and Frank's and fuck shit up, which is. Oh, Musso and Frank's. I I'm love Musso so and Frank's. looking for. I've never I've had never it. Got a chance, I've never got a chance to go with John when I was in LA, um, but I did go to Musso and Frank's a couple of times while I was there. And it's just. It's straight out of the 40s. It's just such a classic. The reason I went there is because when I was living in LA, I was doing some screenwriting. And um, Musso and Franks was always kind of like, that was where a lot of the screenwriters hung out during like the Black Ball, like the McCarthyism era, like Dalton Trumbo and those guys like back, um, you know, during the uh, uh, House activity, House Un-American Activities Committee. All right. the Black Ball screenwriters would hang out at, um, at Musso and Franks and, and they haven't updated the menu or the interior <laughs> since then. It's just, it's walking back in time. You almost have to walk in like a three-piece suit because otherwise you feel out of place. It's such a great place to go. Awesome. Yeah, we're gonna have to do, go on some food adventures, my dudes. Oh yeah, and then LA. If we, if once we get down to LA, we also have to go to the um, Philippe's, the original French dip. Oh yeah. Oh. And then my favorite restaurant. One of my I have one. I have two favorite restaurants in the world. One is here in Wisconsin. The other one is called Real Inn, and it's R E E L because it's a fish restaurant. It's up the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu, right at the base of the Malibu foothills. And it is like the freshest fish you will ever eat in your life. They yank it out of the ocean and put it right in the display case. And you can get it made a couple of ways. You can get it in tacos. You can get it just, you know, um, fried on the, on the flat top with a couple of different spice combinations. The menu's real simple. 
but they have mahi-mahi, they have swordfish, they got tuna steaks that are to die for, and it's all just immediately fresh caught within the last like 12 or 13 hours. And it's a tiny little fishing shack with a seating area behind it, just with the Malibu foothills on one side and the Pacific Ocean on the other, and the view is outstanding. The celebrity watching is great. I've run into like absurdly famous people the couple times I've been there, and um, the food is just absolutely out of this world. So definitely a road trip is in order there. Absolutely. Well, we are going to take one more quick break. When we come back, we're going to kind of we're going to kind of tie this whole season together. We're going to talk about uh, things that we've discussed and and maybe wax a little more nerdy about Bob's Burgers in the meantime, and kind of discuss where we're kind of headed in the future uh, because. Uh, we've got this ball rolling now and there's no stopping it. There's no stopping it. I don't care if five people are listening or 500 people are listening. There's no stopping this. It's, it's Have just a good time. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We are going to close out the season with a bang. Stick around. Welcome back everybody. So kind of to tie up the Bob's Burger theme, I wanted to talk about now me and Jim uh, very recently did an episode about uh, fan theories and the good, the bad, the wild, the wacky, and uh, they're just a lot of fun usually to think about. They kind of can add a little depth to your headcanon if that's what you choose to do and and kind of so we discussed a bunch of uh, uh, of fan theories. Uh, one of them, my absolute favorite one was still the Inspector Gadget fan theory where Dr. Claw is uh, the original Inspector Gadget and this new guy, the new bumbling oaf is his, his ne'er-do-well uh, replacement, which I really I enjoy. You're pretty good at impressions. I'm going to have to make you the, the sound drop guy. <laughs> but uh, so we came up, we saw an article, it was a Screen Rant article that came up while we were talking and it's uh, the 10 wildest and most fascinating Bob's Burgers fan theories about the show. So in honor of that previous episode and to celebrate this last episode of season two, I am going to throw these fan theories to both of you as Bob's Burgers fans and y'all tell me whether you think they hold weight. Good? Good. Good. Here we go. Number 10, the Belcher family is dead. This popular but bleak fan theory says that the show follows Bob trying to cope with the death of his family after a series of accidents, shown in the opening credits as he killed his family and breaks down. The detailed theory claims that Linda died first, promoting Bo- or prompting Bob to open a restaurant next to Mort's funeral home. Louise dies in a fire, Jean dies from an infected rat bite, and Tina dies by electrocution when a telephone pole falls into the restaurant. So these are all clearly taken by all the different times the restaurant has opened and reopened during the opening credits. Thoughts? Uh, (laughs) I don't want to piss at anybody's Cheerios, but I mean, if Bob like truly loved his family so much that, you know, he's going in this pursuit of trying to be close to them. I don't know if you'd want to reopen the same restaurant, what, three times, four times after each one of his family members died. Just throwing it out there. Just you think, you think, I, you think I, he'd I, have given up? I, I'm with Steven on this one. I think really that uh, it's, it seems like it's kind of an, the, the, the classic edgelord fan theory trying to make things darker than they need to be. Um, you know, if the family is, you know, it's not like a, a uh, and again, spoiler alert for a 20 year old movie. It's not the uh, Bruce Willis and Sixth Sense kind of thing, because you see other people, the kids go to school, they interact with Mr. Fromm, you know, Jimmy Pesto comes over, he talks to the kids, the kids go out in the community and get up to their own adventures. If the kids were dead, they're going to an awfully, you know, uh, ridiculous extreme to maintain 
you know, Bob's sort of in, interior fantasy world. I just don't, I think it's too much of a stretch. Okay. We won't go too into detail on it because we are, we don't have all that kind of much time, but I mean, we dedicated a whole, a whole show to this last time, but yeah. Okay. Number, uh, number nine, Bob is dead and Linda married Sterling Archer. This theory takes the Bob's Burgers and Archer crossover episode and wonders if Bob is actually dead in the Bob's Burgers universe and Linda remarried Arthur, or Archer. Bob and Linda have a very healthy relationship and it's difficult to believe that the two would have separated. So some fans have gone into the details of the timeline and the most likely story of why Archer and Linda are married in this Archer episode. Aside from, aside from the fact that it's just voiced by the same guy, John Benjamin, so... Thoughts on yeah, that I'm, one? I'm definitely thinking that's that's more edgelord BS, just because H. John Benjamin <laughs> is definitely he's the voice of Bob and Sterling Archer. Um, it's it's another big old stretch. You know, if, if Linda were to remarry anybody, I think probably Hugo would probably jump in right away. The the health inspector because he's had a, you know, designs on her since episode number one, season one. That guy's been kind of you know a puppy dogging after Linda. But I think, you know, in my heart of hearts, I think she'd probably wind up with Teddy because he's just, you know, kind of sweet. He's not as, as smart as Bob, but but he, he loves her dearly. And, and so I don't think she would, uh, you know, this, apart from that crossover episode, which was chalked up to being a fantasy sequence within the context of the episode, there's no evidence at all that Archer and Bob exist in the same universe. Animation styles are totally different. You know, there's just no crossover there except for that, uh, that one episode just based on the, the same voice actor being the, the character behind, or the, the same actor being the voice behind both characters. Jim, was it Teddy that saw Linda's boobs and then became somewhat disenchanted? Yeah, and that was actually in the Beef Squatch episode, which is the episode that I made the burger from earlier. Yeah, when she uh, has to detract from the shenanigans of the morning show on television with Bob and Beef Squatch, she flashes the camera. And uh, yeah, Teddy is, uh, what you thought was brown was pink and what you thought was big was small. And, you know, he he, uh, goes off on Linda's (laughs) boobs for for a good couple of lines of dialogue. (laughs) But he still loves her dearly. Oh, Teddy. All right. Uh, number eight, Bob's Burgers does use human meat. In the first episode of the series titled Human Flesh, Hugo from the health department accuses the restaurant of using human flesh in their burgers and other menu items. The fact that Mort's funeral home and crematorium is right next to the burger place caused problems to the first episode. And although it was proven that Bob's Burgers wasn't using human flesh in their meat, this fan theory says that in the restaurant, they did and continue to use human flesh in their food, which has a bit of legitimate weight. And I'll tell you why, because the original pilot episode, one of the ideas behind it that, that Lauren Burchard had talked about was, yeah, making them serve human meat as filler for their burgers. Yeah. So. Putting the Sweeney Todd twist on it, I think is interesting. I mean, the unaired pilot, I've seen the unaired pilot episode where, um, uh, Tina was Daniel and still voiced by the same actor, Dan Mintz. The voice didn't change, just the gender of the character did. Um, we'll come back yeah, to that. Yeah, that was a part of the that was a part of the episode. And I I think you're right. I think apart from like the non-canon unaired pilot episode where that was a feature of it, that whole Sweeney Todd angle, I think it might carry some weight because you know you never see food trucks backing up to the back to the back of, of Bob's Burgers. You, you know you never see like a Cisco <laughs> truck or something backing up and him unloading. You just see him with this meat. You do see he and Linda grinding the meat in the basement sometime. And that's not a euphemism for anything. They do grind the meat, but it starts off as chunks of meat they put in the grinder. And for Bob to, um, to, to, to be so perpetually broke and be always 
just on the edge of bankruptcy and the edge of failing with the restaurant because it's just they, they, they can't get the customers in the door. But um, always grinding sense. fresh meat. Always grinding fresh meat. It's got to come from somewhere, you know, and, and most, uh, you know, as well as I do, having cooked that a lot of large scale food supply houses don't take, you know, they, they need to get a minimum order of a certain X amount of pounds of meat. And with only Teddy and sometimes Morton, occasional straggler eating in there, where's he getting the money to buy bulk orders of meat? I think so far, this is the one that actually might carry some weight. I think maybe he is getting the occasional chunk of, uh, of human meat from Mort next door. Steven, any thoughts on that one? I, uh, I can't argue. I can't argue. Unfortunately, <laughs> other than the fact that like we've gone through this cookbook extensively and there's nothing in there about human flesh. I, I didn't see one mention of human yeah. flesh in there. Thankfully, I don't know. You think black garlic is hard to source? <laughs> well, I mean, there's plenty of human flesh around, Kevin. Yeah, it's true. You just yeah, but, but swift when you snatch noticing. it. Swift when you snatch it. All right, number seven. Bob is bisexual. This might be one that not every viewer is caught on to throughout the series. There are multiple moments in this show where Bob says that he's attracted to men, but he quickly says that he's married to Linda and usually mentions that he's straight. The fan theory points out that Bob is bisexual, but has never fully explored his sexuality since he's married and loyal to Linda. And the case in point that they give is when he had to keep going back in and buying that turkey from the meat counter, buying that turkey from the meat counter, the, 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 the butcher uh, becomes a bit enamored thinking Bob keeps coming back just to, to see him, to spend time with him. And at the end, basically propositions Bob for a date. And Bob is like, Oh yeah, well, Oh, I mean, no, I'm married. I'm married. I'm married. You know, but there was that, that flash of hesitation. So uh, I'm going to jump in on this one. I think this one holds a lot of weight quite perfect to be perfectly honest with you and good for him. Yeah, I was going to say, good for Bob. And then there's an episode where Bob gets tailed by a semi-truck for quite a long period of time to where he mentally breaks down and says the first thing that comes out of his mind when he steps out of the, the vehicle, and I believe he says, I'm going to bang your ass to, uh, <laughs> to the male truck driver. So, you know, it could be. It could be. <laughs> Some latent... Uh... Leighton uh, uh, feelings coming out of Bob in his moment of uh, anger and strife. I agree with you, gentlemen. I think Bob is, is of an era of a generation that might not necessarily have been too comfortable exploring, you know, um, it's bisexuality. Um, and Bob, I think he's, he's just, he's, it's a part of his personality and a part of his, his character that's underexplored. He is a father and a business owner and a husband, and he's loyal to all of those things. But I think maybe he just uh, tamps down his attraction to men because you know, regardless, I, I think he, Bob, if I know Bob, he's an honorable guy. He would have more shame over the infidelity than he would the, um, the, the, the sexuality with the man. You know, just, just a, he, Bob is, is, is woke. He knows there's nothing wrong with it, but it would definitely come into play that he'd be cheating on Linda, regardless of the gender of the person he's cheating with. So I, I agree with you guys. I think, uh, well, Bob and, probably and, is into dudes on some level, but he just can't bring himself to cheat. Look at the ease at which he slipped into when he, when he had to drive the taxi to, to raise money for, uh, uh, Tina's party uh, so she could kiss uh, little Jimmy Pesto Jr. But uh, look at the ease with which he fell into this relationship with the transsexual hookers, uh, which was just beautiful because that's the kind of thing we want to see. I don't give a shit about, you know, this. that's how I feel. It's like, I don't give a shit about who you love and how you love. And, and as long as it's consensual and everyone's happy, more power to you, you know, be your happiest best self. Super close. Yeah, exactly. 
just be your best self. And I think that's truly what Bob envisions and what he, he lives up to is. And I think that this, this, I think this is a solid one guys. Yeah. I think I'm, he I'm, is I'm, bisexual. And I think, that. I think he's proud of it. I think he's yeah. absolutely, like you say, he's absolutely loyal to Linda, the family, the restaurant, but I think uh, he's got these tendencies that he doesn't even try to hide. So good on Bob. Good on Bob. Good I agree Bob. with that one. Good for you. Number six, and this is where we talked about coming back to this one later, Tina's transgender. The fan theory is based on the fact that Tina is not in the unaired pilot episode, but a character named Daniel is. Some Hmm. fans wonder if this means that Tina might be a transgender woman who changed her name after coming out as a trans after the unaired pilot. And this could be great to see uh, explored in the show in a positive way. Uh, Other fans wonder if Gene is gender fluid or transgender as well. Gene refers to himself with she, her pronouns at times and he, him at other times, while Louise has called him the good daughter. Louise has also referred to Tina as her older or as her own gender when saying there are three of them, boy, girl, and Tina. So, again, I think this holds a decent amount of weight. I know that uh, Tina Belcher is kind of a, an icon in the, in the, in the queer community the LGBTQ community, I know that they've really kind of latched onto that. And I think that a large part of that, maybe, maybe she is trans, maybe she's not immaterial. I think it stems from the same thing we were just talking about with Bob, this be you and be happy attitude, regardless yep. of who you are, who you love, how you live your life, be you, be happy uh, and, and enable that happiness in other people. I think Tina fully embodies that through her own psychoses and neuroses, but uh, I think that uh, that's part of the appeal of the of the Tina Belcher character. Um, I don't know. I think it holds a little weight. It could possibly be true. It could possibly not be true. But you know, well, Bob and Linda are such great parents. I think probably they raise their kids to be. I mean, they let Louise wear the bunny ears everywhere. You know, <laughs> they uh, they they indulge Gene in his musical flights of fancy. I think probably they they have a an unspoken family dynamic that you just as long as as long as you're happy. You could be whoever you are. I don't necessarily think that, yeah, I think it's maybe people looking to identify with these characters that maybe have a certain identity of their own that might be looking for common traits. I don't know that the Belchers are into labels. You know, I think is, is Jean gender fluid? Is Tina trans? Maybe, maybe other people would call them that based on, you know, what, uh, what their circumstances are, what kind of box they fit into. But I think in the Belcher family, you're just free to be whoever you are and, and whatever you are. So fucking yeah. beautiful. Yeah. As a- Who needs a label? As a parent, I strive for that for me and for my children. It's just yeah. whatever you Gene, are, whatever you decide to be, happy. Just Gene be happy. Gene might be gender fluid, as, but as long, he, he might not label himself that way, but as long as he's, he's comfortable in his own skin and refers to himself whatever pronouns he wants on that given day. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the world might want to put him in that pigeonhole of being gender fluid, but Gene's just Gene. He just yeah. wants to be who he is, and, and he feels how he feels from moment to moment, and that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. I think one of the beautiful things about Bob's Burgers, and you all summed it up very well, is just everybody is able to be authentically themselves. Yep. And I don't, I don't care who you are. Every, everybody I've talked to who's watched Bob's Burgers can see a little bit of themselves in almost every single character. For real. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the beauty of it. And Tina in particular, uh, Tina and, and, and Jean are just so fun. So unique. And, yeah. And, Though they are so unique and so awkward and, and you know, maybe socially 
disinhibited you know there's so much of myself i see in both characters that i just absolutely love and i smile every time i see them and so good on them absolutely yeah. i think another reason why i think a lot of uh, folks in the lgbtq community identify so strongly with bob's burgers is that it's you know ostensibly you've got three female presenting and two male presenting people in the family but there's only one guy in the voice cast of the core family you know the rest of them are uh, john roberts uh is the voice of linda and dan mintz is the voice of tina and they just make it work. You never question it for a second. You know, right. it's just they, they, they have the characters and the personalities and the voices they have. And it just works without anybody having to dig into it too deeply. And I think it's really great to see. Uh, um, what's the name of the guy that voices uh, Linda? John Roberts. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look I'm looking that up right now to make sure I didn't fuck it up. But I'm pretty sure it's, his name is John Roberts. And he's a fantastic actor in his own right. But his Linda is outstanding. Uh, and it's cool because I was watching a video on YouTube and it was talking about the history of, of Bob's Burgers. And, and yeah, it's John Roberts. OK. And so they showed John Roberts. They adapted the Linda character from a bunch of sketches that John used to do. And uh, he would do this uh, New Jersey housewife kind of uh, character. And it's it's linda belcher there's no yeah. there's no altering it there's no changing it it's linda belcher so he just lifted this character from his sketches and made it linda belcher and it's fantastic uh we're gonna we're gonna burn through a few more here uh we're gonna go a little quicker because we're running off on time but yep, yep. gene is autistic theory number five gene is autistic Fans wonder if either Tina or Jean is on the autism spectrum, and Louise even made a problematic joke about Tina being autistic. Both Jean and Tina have obsessive personalities, while Tina has difficulties with social interaction. Jean also has certain repetitive behaviors, especially surrounding his food habits, which can be common symptoms of those on the spectrum. Although this theory is unclear and doesn't have too much evidence to it, it could be true or just part of the Belcher kids' personalities. As somebody uh, who is autistic themselves, I mean, I, I can see a lot of myself in Gene, but I think this kind of goes back to the point that we we're making in the previous uh, fan theory. And that is, I, I think one of the beauties about Bob's Burgers is that each character is authentically themselves and they're blown out of proportion in just such this beautiful way that they, they stand out. It's and bigger than whole, life. and Yeah, and the whole Belcher family is socially awkward. <laughs> um, and so... And I love that about them. So for me, I mean, he could be, but like they said, there's not a ton of evidence. And I think it's just one of the beautiful, socially awkward parts of the Belcher family. Yeah, Agreed. I agree with Stephen. I think that uh, maybe the kids are on the spectrum, but I mean, they're, they're beautiful in their own right and they're unique and creative and interesting. So, you know, why would you want to get your kid taken in and diagnosed with something that doesn't wind up being a problem for your family dynamic? Why label it? It's possible they are, but I mean, who cares? Who cares? Number four, Louise wears her hat to hide her similarities to Linda. Louise has proved throughout the show that she is more connected to Bob as a parent, where her siblings, particularly Jean, tend to gravitate towards Linda. Louise and Linda at times have a strained relationship, and Linda has to try to a lot harder to bond with Louise than with her other two children. This fan theory claims mm -hmm. that Louise always wears her bunny ear hat, which she's never been seen without, to hide the fact that she looks so similar to her mother. I'm going to come right out and say it. Yeah. Because you could see the hair coming out from the back of that hat. If it's not in pigtails, it looks exactly like like, like Linda Belcher's yeah. hair. The, 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 the little Linda part Louise on top. And the, yeah. 
the strained Linda Louise dynamic has been central to a couple episodes, the laser tag episode. I don't remember the name of it, but that was, um, you know, that was the mommy and me kind of thing. And they've gone to a couple of seminars together, trying to just relate to each other and bond. They love each other, but they just don't always get along. I mean, and then recently I've noticed, and this is not part of the fan theory thing, but I've noticed in the last couple episodes of this season, just most recently, there's a real kind of strange uh, Oedipal strain emerging with Gene and Linda in the last couple episodes of the season hmm. where he and his mom have spa time. And, and there's a, a fantasy episode where they all, they have one of those a season usually where they all break off and, and tell a story. They have their fantasy, fantasy sequences. And then one of them, um, Gene is insisting that he's married to his mother um, in order for the narrative to continue. It's a Thanksgiving episode this year, I think. So there's some of that going on, but yeah, I would think that one holds some water also because yeah, Louise and Linda definitely have, they 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 want to love each other they do love each other but they want to get along and they try to make that happen but it's just you know they definitely have the most distant relationship of any other two people in that family i concur good sir yeah i uh this one actually like made me think you know i was like ooh, that's deep um yeah. and i can't argue with it yeah i can't i'll just leave it at that can't argue fair enough number three we're winding down number three top three Bob's Burgers exists in Homer Simpson's imagination. This theory claims that the entirety of Bob's Burgers only exists in The Simpsons within Homer Simpson's imagination. The Simpsons had a crossover episode with Family Guy and Bob's Burgers after an episode where Homer fell into a coma. Some fans claim that Homer never woke up from the coma in this episode and the show only exists in Homer's imagination. Nah, man. Nah. I'll just come around uh, and say that. That's dumb. Yeah, I think the show would have to be called Bob's McRibs. Bob's Krusty Burger. Yeah. What are, what are those uh, crusty rib things called? Uh, rib witches or the whatever. Rib witch. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. yeah Man, I, I don't. I, just, I don't. Yeah. I don't buy it either. I think that's probably somebody trying too hard to reverse engineer a Tommy Westfall snow globe saying elsewhere connected universe theory, which we've talked about before, which could be, and probably will be an episode at some point. Cause I'm fascinated with it. Uh, I, I tried, ex- into it, but... I tried explaining that whole Tommy Westfall thing to my wife. Uh, uh, after we recorded the episode, it's like that meme with, Charlie I got Day so lost. From, uh, always sunny in Philadelphia where he's got the board behind him and all the yarn and the connecting yeah. things. It's, it's a very, very convoluted fan theory that actually <laughs> is very hard to deny when you look at it. But I think that's, we won't talk about it. We won't go into in depth on it now because it is an episode unto itself. Um, yeah, but I think that's probably somebody trying too hard to extrapolate the Tommy Westfall, St. Elsewhere, Snow Globe, unified TV universe theory and apply it to someplace where it doesn't necessarily work. Agreed. All right, last two. Jimmy Pesto is jealous of Bob. Jimmy Pesto and Bob have had a feud between their own restaurants since the beginning of the series, but the feud has never been fully explained. This fan theory says that Jimmy Pesto hates Bob so much and began the feud because he's actually jealous of Bob's home life. It's not explicit, but pretty clear that Jimmy is divorced and doesn't have the best relationship with his kids. While Jimmy's restaurant might be more successful than Bob's financially, his food isn't as creative or tasty as Bob's, which is another reason he could be jealous. Full on, 100%. 100%, yeah. That's been explored quite a bit. There was an episode recently where uh, Jimmy Pesto got laid up with an injury and Bob got roped into going over there to help him. And, you know, the, the whole dynamic of it was, is this going to change the relationship? Is, is Jimmy going to warm up to Bob and start seeing him as, as a friend? And, of course, Jimmy Pesto was an unrepentant asshole and it didn't happen. But, I mean, 
you know, it kind of goes back to being a schoolyard bully. He's just an overgrown schoolyard bully. And you always bully the kids that uh, were different than you and, and maybe kids that you were jealous of and kids who had stuff you didn't. Not, not me. Pers- I never bullied anybody. But you know, bullies are always insecure about something that it, they feel is wrong with themselves. So it makes total sense. You never see Mrs. Pesto. You see, you know, the twins and you see Jimmy Jr. And you see Jimmy Pesto. You never see their mother. Um, even in the episode, we're bobbing over to his place to help take care of him. You never saw any other member of the family. So it is heavily implied that Jimmy is uh, divorced. And uh, Bob's food is, is clearly way better, even though Jimmy has more customers. You know, I think uh, he probably feels guilty on some level. He's got survivors going. Like he doesn't deserve his success. And he's jealous of how loving the Belchers are and how good Bob's food is. That is, I think, alarmingly clear if you really look at the subtext. I think so. Yeah, that sums it up really well. All right. Last one. Zeke is gay. Zeke and Jimmy Jr. have a very close friendship, and his fan theory claims that Zeke is gay and possibly has a crush on his best friend, Jimmy Jr. Zeke doesn't seem to care much about other girl classmates, unlike Jimmy Jr., like when Tammy had a crush on him, and he's mostly preoccupied with wrestling with Jimmy Jr., and not much else seems to matter to him. I'm going to say, who gives a shit? it's very clear that he's got this kind of preternatural occupation with jimmy jr whatever that is whether it's just glomming onto a best friend or whether it's attraction whether it's who gives a shit and i think we've talked about it with uh, with the other fan theories about tina being transgender or bob being bisexual you know these characters i think in the way that this show is written and this show is written so beautifully because the way that these characters are is just who they are it's not like and this is the same thing i was talking to john champion about we were talking about uh, star trek and the new discovery series how they've got uh their first transgender character their first non-binary character first uh uh major on-screen couple gay couple uh but the fact of the matter is, and what makes Star Trek so wonderful is that they're there, but it doesn't matter that they're there because they're not putting them on screen to go, here's our gay couple. Here's our non-binary person. Here's our trans person. We're representing, you know, they're not, they're not sounding that horn, you know, yeah. they're just there as part of this diverse cast. Like Gene would have wanted Gene Roddenberry would have wanted. Yep. And, you know, if you can, it, because it's all about representation. And if you can identify with that and represent with that, fantastic. If you can't, whatever, you've got stuff that you can represent too, because that's the beauty of Star Trek. I think that's the same thing with Bob's Burgers. And I never, ever in a hundred thousand years would have thought I would have uh, been talking in parallel with Bob's Burgers and Star Trek, believe me, because that's just an odd thought process for me to, to come up with. But the fact of the matter is they both kind of operate on that same level. Is Bob bisexual or gay? Is Tina transgender? Is he gay? Maybe. Who cares? Who gives a shit? If they are, it's the least interesting thing about them. And I think you just nailed that. You, you really hit the nail on the head with that. Like, I think entertainment's going to lead the way with representation, especially with LGBTQ people that they're going to be there. And the fact that they happen to be transgender or gay or bisexual or whatever, it's, it might, it's just going to be a part of who they are. And it's not going to be like you said, they're not going to be, this is our token non-binary person. This is a person whose entire character profile is he's gay. They are. And it's, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the least interesting thing about them because the rest of who they are is so fully fleshed out. So total. And so interesting that Mm -hmm. you 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 don't even care. 
You don't care yeah. who they love. They might, you know, they might have a relationship. They might not. But, you know, if, if they happen to be this thing that society as a whole seems to care so much about a lot of the time, it's just something that's kind of a, a mentioned in passing as a facet of an otherwise really well-rounded character that doesn't really factor into how they exist in their universe very much at all. Kind of like it is in real fucking life. <laughs> or should be. Yeah. We're getting there. And entertainment's going to lead the way. I agree. And in fact, I was uh, I had this conversation and we're going to steer off of the Bob's Burger conversation. Now, thank you, gentlemen. That was fantastic. Um, but one of the things that I've really enjoyed recently is uh, they Disney just did their uh, real big announcement for all of the, the Disney shows, the Marvel shows and the uh, Star Wars uh, stuff that they're doing. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was yesterday as of filming. It was uh, the 10th of December when they released all of this uh sneak peeks and trailers and 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 the new slate of things that they're putting out and uh, it's just so wonderful to see a huge corporation like disney leading the charge uh with uh, representation and, and and cultural representation and uh sexual representation and gender representation and, and all of this being so uh utilized as you said media is going to lead the way and mm-hmm. it's fantastic to see, like, we've got uh, Ironheart, a TV show for Marvel coming out. I'm so excited about that because Ironheart. Riri Williams in the lead. Riri Williams, yeah. And, oh, and yeah. it's just this young teenage girl who uh, comes up with her own Iron Man armor uh, in the comics. And I'm curious to see how they go because Iron Man's kind of her mentor at one point or another. Uh, but she came up with the armor on her own. She's truly that smart and gifted and and. and talented and then to a point for a long time uh tony stark was her ai the ai version of tony stark was the ai in her suit her jarvis her friday if you will and and so that was really kind of exciting to see him take kind of a side role position while we get this young uh super smart intelligent brave hero coming out in riri williams to be black we should probably point out i i i didn't point it out and i didn't point it out for a reason because it doesn't fucking matter but yeah. the fact the representation is there is fucking incredible. And, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, and, and like I said, with watching all this media, we were talking about Ms. Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan, uh, a young Pakistani girl who idolizes Captain Marvel, ends up with these uh, powers because she's an inhuman and uh, strives to be a better person and make her family unit better, make her community better, is very community-based. And one of the best-selling games on PS5 right now is Miles Morales, who happens to be another Spider-Man in the mm-hmm. Spider-Universe, and he is Absolutely. half Latino and half African-American. And it's just, you know, I, I think that, like you said about Gene wanting to have representation in the Star Wars universe with people of all different Star backgrounds. Ah, God damn it. I'm going to have to take that again. <laughs> like you said, with Gene and the Star Trek universe having to, uh, really wanting to have this representation of people of all different backgrounds, um, we have that very much with Stan Lee too. I've, I've seen the point made more than once that Stan Lee taking on even as recent as early as the sixties, you know, the whole X-Men mutants versus humans conflict, uh, teaching a whole generation of people to be tolerant and accepting mm-hmm. of people who aren't like them. Um, I think, you know, even though Gene's gone and even though Stan's gone, the, the spirit of inclusion in their various universes is kind of just marching on. And I love the fact that like you pointed it out that it all comes under the Disney umbrella because I remember it wasn't that long ago when Josh Gad's character in the Beauty and the Beast live action remake 
was stated to be within canon to be a gay character. And they got the usual protests from like the Million Mom March and like all the people on Facebook who want to make a tempest in a teapot about somebody. Oh, won't somebody think of the children? For Disney to go, you know what? Fuck you. Just come out with a giant, like you said, slate of entertainment across Marvel, across Disney, across Star Wars, their entire empire, no pun intended, Uh and just make all of these characters, you know, non-white, non-straight, people that are, that that look like America. And I just, you're right. I absolutely love what they're doing with that. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful to see Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, things like that, embracing all of these different ways to make everyone involved, to get everyone involved. It's such a wonderful thing to see. And we started out, uh, the last season we talked about uh, toxic fandom and we started out this season talking about representation in media and pop culture and how very important it is. And I just, I find it really interesting to kind of dovetail that into the end of the end of the year episode, the end of the season episode, because it's getting better. Uh, We, we are, we've gone through uh, this last year, 2020 has been the year from hell. Uh, but we've really seen in the last four or five years this um, very loud minority of people coming out, uh, vocalizing hatred, vocalizing uh, secularism, vocal- vocalizing uh, us versus them, and, and intolerance, and yeah, hatred, and 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 it's it's really easy to get mired and bogged down in all of the the hate because it's so visible it's so ever present even if it's a minority it's still very in our face because thank you social media that's the downside of social media is it's always fucking there right in our face but to see these companies really grasping hold of this representational media and just letting everybody have a voice letting everybody have a hero letting everybody have someone that they can can root for cheer for to see and, themselves on the page on the screen it, to see themselves represented somebody who looks like them somebody they can root for and somebody they can cheer for and that to me i mean it, it you know it's we fucking always beautiful talk about the, yeah it is the entire you know basis of this, of this podcast is about fandom and for you know i've seen the point made on social media several times that if you are going to be somebody who embraces fascism you didn't understand star wars you mm-hmm. didn't understand the Hunger Games. You didn't under you don't understand anything having to do with Marvel or Disney. Every piece of entertainment is like the scrappy underdog fighting the entrenched establishment that's trying to step on their fucking necks. And if you're gonna be somebody or like all those people who are like, Well, I liked Rage Against the Machine before I realized they're political. Well, where the fuck have you been, you dipshit? You know, <laughs> Tom Morello has always written songs that are what what machine did you think they're raging against? The fucking blender? So <laughs> For all these people to, to be to be kind of coming into their own and understanding now that all of the the entertainment they loved that they grew up with all the stuff that they that they adored and still adore it's all about at the base of it fighting oppression fighting for inclusion fighting intolerance fighting bigotry and allowing people to be who they are unapologetically and exist in the world without having to worry about without having to worry about making any excuses for who they are I agree well, I can't say it any better than that. So I think it's just, like I said, it's we're coming to the close. Uh, 2021's right around the corner. A new chapter for our country, for the podcast, for hopefully everyone. Maybe the end of this COVID nightmare eventually. Who knows? Maybe I'll even get a PS5. We'll, we'll see. 
Fingers hey, crossed. Anything can happen. Miracles have been known to drop at transitional liminal periods in history. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys both for being with me here today. Stephen, I want to thank you for coming back on to kind of wrap up the year with us. And I look forward to doing uh, quite a few more of these because, you know, like I said, food is my passion and food is your passion. And we, we split such a, a brain on that that I can't wait to, to tap into that again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Saint. And, uh, it's always a pleasure. I always love being on the show. And I look forward to the next one, man. Wonderful. And, and Jim, thank you again for, for deciding that this is something that you wanted to waste your valuable video gaming time on is by being my cohort in crime here. And uh, I, I am touched to be a part of it. I'm having a blast and having a good time. And I think the stuff we're talking about, I mean, it's easy to assume that, that fandom is frivolity entertainment, but I mean, it, obviously, as we've talked about in many episodes, it touches on way deeper social issues. So it really does make a difference to people. And I think it's a really important thing to look into as deeply as we do. And for all of you listening, I want to thank you for sticking with us over the course of this season two, these 40 long episodes of season two. And I just cannot wait for you to see what Jim and I have in store for you for the next year. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, we've, we've already got interviews lined up. We are, we are not going to rest on our laurels during the break. But uh, from us to you, we want to say thank you. And remember... And I don't mean this in a trite way. I mean this with all of my heart. And if you take anything away from this show, everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Happy New Year. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next season.